Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we engage with colourful little cardboard oblongs for longer and with closer attention than is strictly necessary as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson and today I'm delighted to say my guests are writers in very different fields, Thane Prince and Toby Matthew. Thane and Toby, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Now, Thane Prince you'll know as a food writer for the Daily Telegraph and elsewhere. Uh, you'll have seen her on Ready, Steady, Cook, The Big Allotment Challenge, heard her on Woman's Hour, or you might well have read her work in one of over a dozen books she's written, uh, many with an emphasis on jams and preserves and pickles and stuff you put in jars. <laughs> yes, very much so. And Thane comes to us today with a W1 postmark. Yes, absolutely. I arrived here when I was 18, and I've, apart from three years living in America, I've tried really hard not to move outside Zone 1, so W1. Well, that's a luxury if you can make it happen. Well done for you. Now, Thane, do you still send postcards? I still buy postcards. Um, I'm really quite rubbish at sending them. I spend a lot of time in Spain these days because I cook abroad. And um, I do buy postcards and send them to my mother and to my husband's brother and occasionally to my grandchildren. But I'm afraid I'm not an inveterate postcard seller. Just, just the buyer. I, well, I buy them because the pictures are so much more um, vibrant than anything I can take and you can keep them and store them. And also, I think the photography is just more apt and sometimes you can get pictures of, of the place as it was. You know, I like buying old postcards. Yes. So by definition, they're older than what you would have taken with Today. a camera. Yes, because of they're, Whether it's printed. months or yep. years. That's right. Very good. Uh, now, Toby Matthew is a writer and historian specialising in Russian graphic art and propaganda. Um, working as a journalist for the Associated Press, he lived in Russia and Ukraine for three years. And while he was in Russia, he started picking up old postcards, um, a primrose path. Um, soon, he had an impressive collection of revolutionary postcards. And the good news is, uh, Toby shares his amazing collection and the story of those cards and events around them uh, in his beautiful book, Greetings from the Barricades, um, which is actually the first major study, I think, of design, production, distribution of anti-Tsarist 
postcards and a kind of lens through which to look at that whole period, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, it's extraordinary. These tiny objects um, really reflect a, a whole revolutionary history. And when I first came across them, I thought, you know, here are amazing, dynamic, vibrant images. And then slowly starting to uncover the stories behind them, I, um, I went down, shall we say, a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> I know that slope. <laughs> Well, Toby comes to us today with um, a slightly blurry postmark. I mean, I think, like Thane, it might be London, but there's a hint of Moscow in there as well. I think that's absolutely right. Born in London, um, moved out, but I've uh, spent uh, many of my formative uh, years in Moscow, having lived there for three years or so. So would the postmark have a, have a like a... a um uh, a code on it, like we have here in, in Ruska? Yep, numeric code, um, possibly forwarded, so lots of good cancellation marks. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> Absolutely. The whole history, the palimpsest at the back of a postcard. <laughs> and Toby, when did you last send a postcard? Just yesterday. Um, good work. Little thank you note for a lovely holiday in Ireland. So, yeah, I'm a very keen sender of postcards. Um, they're so easy and people appreciate them. Very good. Well, you'll find no argument from me in that. Now, before we discover the cards that Toby and Thane have brought along, um, I'll give you a quick card of mine. Uh, this is, of course, a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter, at uh, Past Postcard and the book. For, it's, it's an old card from which I've selected just a bit of the message. So um, he will start with this. This is a, a rather good card, actually. If, um, let me read it. It's Clacton, Clacton on sea, and it's it's incredibly oversaturated colours. Um, the sky has never been that blue. I don't. Not think. in Clacton. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, not anywhere. I don't think. No, not with that not richness. Anywhere. No. And what's no. that? Seventies. Uh, I can probably tell you. I think it might be a bit, a bit later. No, you can't see the date. I think it's eighties because it's sixteen p stamp, but the picture is doubtless a good ten years earlier. Um, and it was sent to Bermondsey from. Um, someone called Lorraine, and um, it just it just tells you their, their, what their um, interests are, I suppose. It says, my money is mostly gobbled up in money machines, and I also went on an aeroplane. <laughs> so I guess they, I mean, I guess they mean one-armed bandits. I was going to say all those things you put pennies in and try and get all those pennies to slide yeah. towards you. Well, you can literally see your money when disappearing. You can, you can absolutely. <laughs> and the aeroplane part? Well, I don't know. Where, where, where would you have gone on a plane from Clacton? Fun, fun ride? Maybe a light aeroplane. Oh, yes, you think was, a real aeroplane? Oh, I would think so. Yeah. But not going anywhere in particular, I thought. No, they'd have probably said. just going up and down, just yes. going for a... Oh, Perhaps with some message flapping around the yes. back. Yes. <laughs> All right, I'll do, I'll do another quick one. This is uh, Rye. I'm sure we all know Rye. Yes. Yeah. A great sort of civilised day trip place or a place you might go and stay. Tea um, rooms. Tea rooms, exactly. And just wandering down yeah. Mermaid Street. Um, anyway, th this, this person in uh, 1975, August 1975, uh, Margaret, who was sending it to uh, some friends in Chelmsford, uh, didn't have such a great time on the, the, the trip. The car caught fire at Dartford. <laughs> so um, not, not, not such a good trip for Margaret. Um, to, to let you know at home, uh, images of all the cards we discussed today are on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can uh, investigate for yourself and see that we're not making it up. Now, uh, Toby and Thane, you've been kind enough to come to the studio today with postcards of your own. Thane... We're gonna. We've bundled some together. Yes. But I think these first cards you've got are, are very much your biography. So, they <laughs> or, are. Or, the, or perhaps an early part of your biography. A very early part. What yes. What have you got? Well, I've got a picture of the cliff path in 
old Hunstanton because I grew up in Hunston. I was born in Hunston, which is North Norfolk. And every day during the summer, my mother would put a loaf of bread and some butter and jam and cheese into a box, put it in the pram with my younger sister, and we would all walk down this path and go on to the beach. And we would spend every single summer's afternoon that we could. And I think it's because I grew up in the 50s and therefore, you know, that was what you did. You went outside if you possibly could. And it's so it's a very um, nostalgic card for me. In fact, this was taken before um, I was there because I can see there's a ruined church which was much more ruined by the time I was a child. And I left there when I was 13. So I found this card in a I think I was just sorting through a boot sale and thought, oh, and I think there is something wonderful about seeing an old card of something that you knew as a child. So that's my first card. And that, so you grew up at the seaside? Yes. So would it be the kind of place where they would have sold a lot of postcards for visitors? Yes, absolutely. And I I have sort of memories of the, you know, the... Uh, Skegness is so bracing type oh, of right, cards, you know, the, the slightly rude ones. Yeah, yeah, cheeky and, postcards. Yes, lots and lots of postcards. I don't suppose we really sent cards very much if you lived at the seaside, you know, yeah, you're not yes. sending them. It's a busman's holiday. It's a busman's holiday. But, um, yes, lots of postcards, lots of postcard shops. And there was, of course, um, a fun fair. Um, you know, there was a pier, and, and I oh. believe there still is at Hunston. Hence your knowledge of one-armed bandits. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Because my mother was a bit above us going on the pier, right. as you can imagine. Yeah. And no candy floss because we were all going to get polio and all that sort of thing. You have to think back a long way to all of this. But you did have the the benefits of the uh, the open air and the sea breezes we did. on the clifftops. Yes, we did. And, and, of course, if anyone visited us, then they all wanted to go on the pier. Mm. So we used to look forward to visitors because then you could go on the pier Good and have the candy it. floss. Yes, yes. And yes. you got a ready-made attraction for your visitors as you well. You used to have a ready-made attraction. Great for cousins and aunts. Absolutely. And... So, yes. No, we so we did definitely went on slot machines and we definitely had... And it was... Um, it was I loved it. I think it was quite tedious in those post-war years for adults. There wasn't a lot going on. I think it had been a very, very interesting seaside town between the wars with lots of dinner dances and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, the East Coast was pretty bad. A lot of seaside towns have been fairly depressed for quite yes, a long time. that's right. Yeah. There's a bit of a revival literally yep. in the last 10 years or so, actually. Isn't I think there? so. Very much so. Um, I was down in Hastings just the other day and uh, very popular um, yeah, I, I, I have to say, I have not yet been to Hunstanton, but I, uh, I will certainly go. When you go? Yes, uh, yes, I think they, I think Hunston, Hunstanton, I must say Hunstanton, suffered from the uh, loss of the railway link, the beaching. Oh, gosh, because they that's took, a it was, terrible thing to have to happen to a town, isn't yes. it? Yes, I mean, I went to school on a steam train. Did you? Yes, I did. Goodness. There are few people that will sit in the students and I went to school on a steam train. I'm I went, jealous. I went to the grammar school in Lynn and we I got the five past eight steam train from uh, Hunstanton to Lynn. Yes, wow. for the first two years. And sorry, I can't help notice your elision of uh, Hunstanton to yes. Hunston. So yes. is that like sort of Daventry, Daintree? Yep. And, and that's that, right, yes. Right. So that's, okay. so that proves you're a local. It proves I'm a local. And of course, one of the things that, that caused a problem was that if you stop the train going directly, then people... You know, not everybody has cars. It, it starts getting awkward. Cool. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, yes. And so I think the improved transport links, places like Hastings have been made enormous right. difference. Yes. I'm sure. Mm. And just to stick on this card for one minute. Yes. It, uh, it, do we know the date of it? Do we know anything about it? I know you bought it secondhand, so you don't have a I personal connection. No, but... And I can't see in here, but it's got a, a George stamp on it, has it? Yeah, I'm trying to see the date. Mm. It's got a message. It has got a message. We leave here on Wednesday and hope to see you next Saturday. 
We'll let you know the time. I told you very transport useful. was difficult. Yeah. <laughs> very hot weather. Place very full. So they're sending it to Essex. They're on holiday, I think. They've gone yes, up the they, coast. Yes, they've gone up the coast. Very disappointing, no mention of the enormous dog on the front. I know, there's an enormous <laughs> Is it a dog. dog? Well, it's, it's that or a pony. I mean, it could be a lot. I, no, it almost looks like a sort of, sort of rock. No, I think or it's a collie. Yeah, it's a collie. Yeah, it's there's a, a massive trick, collie. There's a trick a of perspective because it does look enormous. It does look enormous. Yes. So perhaps the photographer wasn't quite as skilled, unless he wanted to make you know, keep. But it, it makes the card. It does make it's the brilliant. Card. Well, you need a bit of interest there, otherwise it's just green. It is. Yeah. That, that sort of rather basic printing needs to do. There's slabs of colour. Yes. You need something going. On. And of course, the lighthouse and the lighthouse keepers and 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 the. Um, are alive because, of course, it was a very dangerous coast, and, and especially mm. when this, you know, this is between the wars postcard, but it became even more um, pertinent. Very good. So then your life progresses into the next cards. It does, the next cards. <laughs> After a brief stop in Peterborough, I then moved to London, to, to W1, where I trained as a nurse at the Middlesex Hospital. The now, you know, it's not there. And these, very close to where we're recording very, today. Very close, yes. Yeah. So this is really the sort of place that I grew up in, this whole area. And these are the beautiful cards that were on the walls. They were, these cards commemorate the murals in the front hall of the hospital. So you would go into the hospital, which was built in about 18-something, and it was in the traditional H shape. So you have the central block and then you have the wards, male and female, front and back, nightingale wards, you know, with sisters sitting at the desk and 15 or 20 beds around the walls. And in the front hall, there were these wonderful, uh, to my mind, wonderful pictures of um, people. Yes. And they are now in the Welcome Museum. Um, How are they? Yes. Are they on display? And they're called Act of Mercy. Yes, they are on display in the Welcome Museum. And this... It's obviously before the national health. Um, and these are, in fact, orphans. For my entire life, I thought they were nurses, but they're not. The pictures are of orphans. They're wonderfully 1920s, that sort of stylized, flat colour. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a Burne Jones that looks very similar, which is um, of the girls walking down a staircase. Yes, um, there's something, there's something Burne Jones about them. Very Burne Jones. Am I right to say there's a sort of Italianate feel? There's something about the colour? Well, I think like also that... that, that um, column and the entrance there does look as if this could be in Italy. And I mean, I'm not saying it isn't. Yes, no, that's very true, and that's sort of refectory mm-hmm. there. Yes, that's right. It does look Italian. But it was Frederick uh, Kylie Robinson. Is that right? Have I got that right? It's quite dark in here. Yeah, Kylie Robinson. Kylie Robinson. Yes, that's right. And they are at the Welcome Museum, and they are very beautiful. And I walked past them every day for probably the seven or eight years I was working as a nurse there. So that bit of public art was... Hmm. was and did, did it inspire you? Did it, did it lift you a bit? I think it was some... I think really beautiful things always do, and these were very beautiful. I mean, they were huge. They are they're big because they were in the main entrance, and they were not. They were there was a dado rail, and then they went up to the ceiling. So they're very big pieces of art. So they're very omnipresent. I'm not sure you see them every time, but but you see them enough to to imprint on your sort of retina and in your head. It's a nice philosophy having something like that, isn't it? It is a very nice philosophy. Yes, and they are called acts of mercy, which of course. The hospital was built by public donation, and so, you know we have, we forget in these days of the NHS. The NHS and I are the same age, but we forget that um, it was extraordinary before the NHS. Mm. That, mm. You know, it was all about people giving philanthropy. philanthropy. Yes, yes, and in fact, to, to to sort of 
put everything through the lens of postcards. There are there are many collectors who collect sort of uh, pre-NHS mm. hospital cards. Yes, quite interesting and sometimes quite grim looking. Yes, but um, including of patients and, and yeah wards. You get a lot yes. of images. Sometimes wards with patients, sometimes empty pa- empty mm. wards. Right. But, I mean, the ones that I've seen of the London Whitechapel Hospital in their sort of what we would now call the emergency department, A&E casualty, and these are really quite grim. Yes. Mm. So it looks like a war zone. It does look like a war zone. Or a First World War hospital or something. Uh Gosh. Well, I shall go to the Welcome uh, Museum. I'm going to have a look at these because I'm inspired to see them, definitely. They're very beautiful. Especially, especially if the hospital is no longer there. No, it isn't. The tra- Everyone was cured. It's fine. <laughs> it's all gone. It's okay. We, we were successful. Did your job, and I you did. no longer had to be a nurse. So I know exactly. Yeah. Absolutely fine. Very good. Oh, well, thank you for for inspiring me with those. That's that's really interesting. Now, Toby, what's the first little bundle you have for us? You're obviously, you know, we're going to draw on your your great Russian collection. So let's um, talk us through it. So I brought along two postcards from 1906. Um, the first one is of a rather aggressive looking chap um, who is a butcher and uh, the title is Monarchist. Um, okay. Butchers were known mm. at this stage, quite unusual actually, little known fact that butchers um, in Tsarist Russia were big monarchist supporters. Really? Don't ask me why. I was going to say that is something I would never have imagined. I have no idea. But um, Were they wealthy? I mean, relatively? I, I don't think comparatively. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, this was working-class right. support for the Tsar. Right. Um, and obviously this works on two levels. The um, pro-Tsarist supporters of its time had a, an appalling reputation for violence against revolutionaries, against anyone who uh, they didn't agree with or certainly uh, didn't, didn't like their own hero. Um, and this card was produced commercially. And actually one of the odd things about it, an awful lot of postcards um, at this time, uh, revolutionary postcards, they're actually produced to raise money either for individuals, commercial institutions, or for revolutionary parties. Um, this was a private manufacturer who produced it, um, and it's it's a very powerful image. Um, it does exactly what it says on the tin. And so is, he, is, is the producer cashing in on the interest in yeah. revolutionary thought? He's not raising funds for the revolutionaries? No. So it's exactly that. So um, in 1905, you get a huge upsurge of violence that lasts for about a year and a half. And during this period, you get hundreds of thousands of postcards, if not millions, produced. Right. This is extraordinary. I mean, I had absolutely no idea about this. So the, the very strange thing when I first came across these things um, was to discover there hasn't been a great deal written on them. And the images speak for themselves. I mean, quite apart from the stories behind them. And actually, what I've always been interested in, and I think this brings you straight back into your podcast, is the individuals who stand behind them. And whether that's the artists, whether it's the people who sent them, or whether it's people who actually got money from them. And this card is great. Um, it really appeals to my sense of the absurd and sense of humour. Because the message on the back of this um, really quite bloody image is... I've got tickets for Carmen on Friday, Belletage. All the best, Lutin. And he's obviously <laughs> writing Goodness. to his bell to say, got tickets for the opera. The opera in Moscow? In Moscow. And so Carmen presumably the Valshaw. And Carmen yes. as well. Yes, romantic and Spanish and yeah. French. And, uh, and joyous. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, up to a point. Well, yes, I know. I mean, <laughs> the music is. <laughs> someone always dies at the end. The woman always dies. They are. Well, hopefully not in this case. But um, So do you think they were just literally pulling a card off the shelf? Oh, we, I bought this the other day. I'll use it to send the message. Or, 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 or were they so wrapped up in revolutionary well, fever that they 
couldn't use any other card? Or? If I got my academic hat on, I'd say one way of looking at it is that it speaks to the ubiquity of violence at the time. That actually it was perfectly normal to send mm. uh, this sort of violent imagery to someone you knew quite well and that it was no problem. I think what's more likely is that actually it's both. And what we're seeing here is someone who says, uh, OK, mm, probably not that appropriate, but it's fine. It's all I've got and sent it off. Um, so, yes, I think, I mean, I, you see, I mean, wild inappropriate messages written on the back of strange postcards. It seems to be something about postcards, that they, yeah. the yeah. front and the back don't marry, and that's half the shimmering tension of them and, and the joy of them. So, I mean, I've got another card in my collection, which is... Um, an image of an aftermath of the pogrom, a horrendous image, and someone's written on the back, happy name day. Oh my and goodness. you just think, you know, what is going on here? And I think that really is a case of someone just thought, you know, here's a card, send it. Yes. Um, and it's unusual for cards in your collection, or it's unusual, I believe, for some of your cards to be written on. They're not, a great many revolutionary cards were sent in under plain wrapper. That's exactly right. I mean, and for obvious reasons, um, an awful lot weren't sent because they were illegal. Um, you got a change in the census law late in 1905, and that enables an awful lot of private manufacturers to start producing comparatively mild images legally. And this would have been produced legally because um, although it's broadly offensive to Zara's supporters, um, it's not actively against the government. Right, so it's a stereotype rather than a sort it's of a stereotype. specific attack. It's a commentary, and actually this is part of a set of um, uh, seven cards, <laughs> all of which mock various aspects. So you've got ones mocking revolutionaries. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Wow. Um, so, I mean, dare I say it, I, I think it's quite a fun thing. Yes. Yeah. And presumably you've researched and found out who was performing in Carmen that, that, <laughs> that week. I think you overestimate my abilities as a researcher. Yes, come, alas, come back when you have, <laughs> yes, yeah. And alas, I couldn't find out who the people um, it was addressed to or who sent it either. So, uh, who, you know, goodness knows what happened to them. But that's a great story. Absolutely. And, uh, it's a very violent card, isn't it? It's yeah, it's not nice. I mean... Yes, it's, know, a it's great. I mean, you'll see yeah, it on the website, yeah. but it's a grotesque image, isn't it? Is, it? It's not it nice. Is. Yeah, he's a, he's a real thug. But with his hands, his fists clenched and the knives in his apron. And let's not get away from the fact that, you know, this was a, a really turbulent, difficult mm. time in mm. Russian history and you get horrendous anti-Semitic attacks, anti-revolutionary attacks mm. on both sides. You also get revolutionaries carrying out appalling uh, terrorist attacks as well. Mm. I, I, mean, I was reading the sort of chapters that deal with this specific time just this morning, uh, rereading, I might have, and... Um, the laws in, uh, about the postcards were changing, what you could, could and couldn't send, could and couldn't publish, were changing very, very rapidly. So week by week, things seem to change. It, it's hugely complicated, but really from the 1860s onwards, you start getting um, a print industry that was originally um, producing only a very small amount of books for the elite, massively expanding, and um, under the pressure of increased literacy um, and uh, a burgeoning middle class, you get um, huge pressures on the system and the Tsarist government had to react and did arguably quite slowly. And this came to uh, a pressure both uh, on the sensorial front and, of course, on the social front in 1905. Very good. Well, let's put uh, our unpleasant butcher to one side <laughs> yes. for a minute. And you've got an even worse image for us now. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm really lowering the tone. Um, well, far yeah. from it. They, <laughs> no, they're, they're, far from it. I think it, you're levelling it. You're taking us to the depths in some ways, <laughs> yes. though. I know. I mean, I, again, I think one has to be realistic about this. Um, 
This is an image of, uh, it's a two-part image of Tsar Nicholas II, produced around the same time as the other card. And on the left-hand side, we see Tsar Nicholas dancing on a pyramid of skulls, and behind him, um, a whole array of gibbets. And on the right, we see Nicholas II himself um, hanging from a gibbet. Um, it's sort of structured a bit like a punch cartoon or something, isn't it? Yes. But my God, it's dark. Mm. The caption reads... Two perspectives, and on the left, um, we've got uh, a comment on uh, field martial law that was brought in um, uh, to counter the revolutionaries, and on the right, very simple one word caption that in English translates slightly longer is it will all come to a bad end. And so this is the comment on the you know, huge uh, violence uh, used against the revolutionaries to suppress um, an uprising that really threatened um, not just the integrity of uh, Imperial Russia, but um, also the regime itself, the 300-odd-year-old Romanov dynasty. Um, and I, I find this card extraordinary because it's a prediction 12 years in advance. I was advance. going to say, how long before yeah. the Tsar Sorry, uh, it's, it's, what is it? It's, um, it's 11 years in advance. Okay. Yes. Um, they got it right. So yes, they did. They got it right, but I think anyone who understood the situation in Russia realised that this is a rapidly modernising society that was coming under huge pressure. And were it not for the First World War, I have no doubt that actually they would they would have gradually been a constitutional monarchy introduced. But one can't predict for that. Um, the other extraordinary thing about this postcard is the person who drew it. Um, very rarely um, do we actually know the artist of these cards. And this was drawn by someone called Mikhail Chimodanov. Chimodanov was Russia's most famous doctor. <laughs> oh, so, uh, absolutely extraordinary. Um, he studied at Moscow University with Chekhov and various others and um, became an illustrator. He had to abandon that due to the pressures of, um, well, uh, well-known pressures of bringing up a family because he couldn't earn enough money. But he came back to it in 1905 and he started producing these images. And um, he was eventually caught. Um, but he and... wouldn't produce these for fun. I mean, he oh, this must is... have believed in this. He was absolutely committed. Um, he was what's known as a populist. Um, and um, he was firmly against the regime. And um, he, uh, he was, a bit, as I say, he was eventually caught and jailed and, and he died of tuberculosis that he'd caught some years earlier on. And has this card been... This, 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 this presumably would have been an illegal card. This is completely illegal. This uh, is absolutely the worst. Can I ask how you know he drew it? I mean, did he sign it? Surely that would have been foolish? Or was it a style thing? It's, it's funny you should say that. Yes, he did sign some of the early ones. Um, the others are all under a pseudonym, um, also stylistically, and yes. the method of reproduction. Okay. Um, so this would have been produced um, uh, illegally in a little studio. Actually, we know exactly where it was produced. It's produced within a stone's throw of the Kremlin. Um, and uh, it, it, it just, again... You see an image like that, you understand it, but when you bring it back to an individual who risked his life and ultimately, mm. you know, paid the ultimate price um, for his beliefs, I always find that extraordinary. Someone who is prepared to take a stand against tyranny or, or, or against, you know, ideologically against, you know, whatever yes. they, they believe in. And um, it's probably an appropriate moment to say I, I don't countenance either revolutionary or or, or or czarist belief. And that was a difficult thing, actually, writing the book, to try and take a, a stance that was as much as one can um, unpartisan.
Yes. Well, and you're not living in no. early 20th century Russia, so you, you kind of don't have to. Very true, but you'd be surprised. There are still some very active um, supporters of Tsar Nicholas um, who, you know, really disapprove of the fact of these postcards and the fact they're reproduced. Um, it certainly um, he has some some serious adherents, and the, and the other thing is he's now a saint. So in the under the, in the Russian Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. And Nicholas's ah, yes, so and the yes, family, the, the martyrs who died in 1918, who, who, sorry, who were murdered in 1918. So from that point of view, I also recognise that, you know, there are sensitivities involved as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't, this wasn't sent openly with a stamp? Absolutely no. not, no. no. Well, that's amazing. I mean, one of my sort of um, uh, endless things I, I try and do in, in the bits I do with postcards is, is, is far less dramatically, but is, is to try and sort of puncture this myth that postcards are simply a world world of cosiness and, um, you know, ice cream. And in fact, they are simply a way of communicating and often people can be bitter or sour or resentful, or in this case, wishing death upon the monarch. They're such amazing communication devices. I mean, as a medium, whether you're, you know, communicating what you did in your holiday or whether you're spreading some sort of um, ideology, they're, they're fantastic. Amazing. Well, because everyone who touches them sees the, the image. This is absolutely right. Uh, and you can either, you know, pin it to a wall mm. or um, tell someone you've bought tickets for Carmen. <laughs> yes. and, the, and sometimes the message is on the back and sometimes the message is on the front. Yes. It kind of depends. It's, and, um, Very true. I mean, there was uh, just a quick story I picked up from your book, which is Victor Chernoff, the revolutionary, who had this <laughs> idea. Well, you should tell the story. of He had a sort of scheme for sending messages or sending secret messages, didn't he? Absolutely right. He wrote in his um, biography about the use of postcards and he was saying that actually... Um, you could send a, a message on the back, but there was always a danger that the Tsarist authorities might find out what that was. So actually a completely foolproof message was to use the image on the front. Now, um, this is all very well, but he then goes on to give an example, which is very much um, not in keeping with modern times. He said, you can send a picture of um, various men doing things, and that will mean the project has succeeded. But if it's a picture of women, that oh will mean it's goodness. all gone wrong. Oh, there you go. So, Yes, are. there we that, go. Is that sexist or is it just a code? Just a random code? I think it's deeply sexist. <laughs> deeply, deeply sexist. I'm not going to argue. I mean, I agree it is a code, but it's a code that depends on the... It, it, yes, I Indeed. suppose it has something underpinning it. It does. But interesting, interesting, interesting. as a way of... You know, yes, yes. Perhaps we should say you send a picture of a cat if it's and a dog if it's yes whatever. I know oh, but, oh, but which one? Because <laughs> I don't want, any, I don't really want any discrimination against dogs, please. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I'm going to lower the tone and bring us back to later in the 20th century briefly now. Just one more from me here. Um, this is a black and white card with a, uh, a very nice decal edge. You know that. Oh, sort of, I love the decal edge. Yes, nice. Um, it's um, it's an old card. This one. I see. Oh, 1959. Okay. July 1959, um, produced by a company called Lily White, and it was sent to Liverpool uh, from Linton. And it's quite hard to read, but um, we get an insight into, I think, I can't see the name, get an insight into their holiday anyway. The talent isn't bad, but not up to expectations. Anne Herbert went climbing today and fell into a pool of water. So Pete took a photograph of her and then helped her out. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just wondering if the word talent means then what it does now. I think he meant, yeah. You think yeah. so? Yeah, definitely. 50s. And 
sometimes I've seen this where you, you find bits of um, slang yes. that sound very modern. And so I just wonder if talent was a Liverpool phrase then. Oh, and now it's become a ubiquitous phrase yes. for, you know, someone yeah. attractive to the opposite sex. But I'm glad he got his priorities straight. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, there's, there's another card here, also, also a photographic element. Um, this is a bit later. It's, I think we're into the very early 80s, actually. And it's sent uh, from Caster. Um, oh, right, yes. Yeah, not so far from your part of the no. world. Uh, multi-view. Um, Pictures definitely seventies with those sort of uh, women oh, with the fair yes, haircuts. Oh yes, absolutely. Very good. Um, the miniskirt and the, and the um, bell-bottom trousers. Can I yeah, say that? yes. well, that's actually that's a bloke, isn't it? I thought that was a Is woman. Is it? That's two oh. women. No, I think it's a man and a woman. Oh well, then yes. They've got look-alike sort of David Bowie haircuts. They have. It's a rather lovely red singlet he's wearing. Yes, yes. I guess I couldn't. We'll see always it. put something red in the postcard. Yes. Um, it's a habit that started with the Russian cars oh, very frequently. Probably using red, earlier than yes. that, but yeah. Um, Anyway, they're saying here, uh, this is uh, Julia saying to her friend uh, in Essex, there is a really nice boy here. I don't know his name yet. I'll try and get a photo of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know the law, but I think that's stalking, isn't it? I think it, it is. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast, and my guests today are Toby Matthew and Thane Prince. Thane, what's the second bundle of cards you have for us? Well, the second bundle of cards are to do with my next um, interests or employment. I moved from being a nurse to writing about food. It was a very simple jump. I spent quite a lot of time. My husband travelled a lot, and I thought it's time I did something. So I went to City University to take an evening class in journalism. It was close by, you know, and it's because it's just on Goswell Road. And I had thought I would be one of these, you know, ask dear ask sister whatever her name is you know my little boy johnny's got spots what shall i do about them in, in a woman's <laughs> oh, magazine I see, or something right. like that I, I i sort of thought agony aunt an ag- well, health, health, sort agony. Of health, yes, health yes, agony yes, aunt. yes exactly or an agony aunt but a health agony aunt and um in fact 
I, we, it was an amazing course. We did terribly well. I loved it to bits. I, I had never thought about writing before. I'm mildly dyslexic and therefore at school was always taunted by this. And um, I had a teacher called Miss Lemon, my English teacher, <laughs> and I long for her to have read my name in print oh. because she was so, so devastatingly down on the fact that I couldn't spell. And in those days, spelling was hugely important. So, And, anyway. and dyslexia was far less recognised. Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it was sort of, I don't, there was even a word for it. You know, you, I mean, I just couldn't, I mean, I, I could read, but I couldn't write and I still can't. I'm trying to learn Spanish at the moment and it's really, really difficult because you can't see the letters. Anyway, so I um, started writing about, uh, one of the things the teacher said was, try writing a piece about something you're passionate about. And I was cooking at the time, and so I wrote a piece about that. And by wonderful um, series of happenstance, I uh, got it got it published and, and from then on went on to write about food. And it's been my um, enduring passion. Um, I often say that I, it's incredibly lucky that I write about food because if I'd... If I had wanted, if I had been knitting or, you know, potting or something, the whole house would be full of jumpers. <laughs> couldn't put your arm in the air or slightly misshapen pots, whereas the worst thing that can happen with, with food is that you have a slightly difficult meal and you think, yes. well, never mind, tomorrow will be better. Yeah, everyone benefits, really. Everyone benefits, really, and it, it's not a big deal. So, in fact, I found that I had um, two talents. One is I could cook and the other is I could write. That is the exact length of my talents. <laughs> I can't draw, I can't sing, I can't dance but I can cook and I can write. And so I managed very successfully, I hope, to um, meld the two. And so these are um, pictures from France. I travelled extensively in France. I used to teach cooking in, in Italy. And as I say, I now, I now go to Spain quite a lot. And before the internet, and I always um, make people, you know, young journalists or young food writers, bloggers, laugh when I say this. When I was writing for The Telegraph, I had to have a Rolodex full of important names and telephone numbers. So if I wanted to know how many potatoes they ate in February in Yorkshire, you'd ring the potato marketing board, you'd speak to your contact there and you'd say, any idea of how many potatoes they eat average week in Yorkshire? Because I'm writing about Yorkshire potatoes. And he would look it up and he would tell you. These days you go onto the internet and you just go, Yorkshire potatoes, how many? And it's all very simple. <laughs> so you don't have to have the extraordinary amount of um, reference books, contacts, you know, any time on the phone um, and what you would do when you travelled was I would pick up cards with recipes on so that I didn't have to have the whole book because I might only want to know how to make confit which is what this one is or a gâteau saint-tropézienne and so I would have it as a reference card when yes. I got home because there is a sort of genre isn't there of yes typical yeah. recipes from not just France, from various bits of Europe, Absolutely. I suppose. With just one recipe with on With one, one recipe on the front. I've only bought one in today because when I was searching last night, this was the one I found. And I thought it's it, it's a wonderful example of its type because it's got you know a, a sort of bucolic a scene of, of... Well, not bucolic, it's a rustic scene of a fire. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't put that near the fire because the pot, <laughs> the pot would crack. And that pot's meant to be full of fat. And because, the flowers as well. And right the flowers, close to yes, that. very close to it. And a couple of rather, I, I think, rather unappealing-looking duck legs there. Very I mean, they yellow. don't look very yeah, nice, they've been sat there for a while. They've been sat there for a while. Um, I don't know whether they've just lifted them out of the fat and they're about to roast them in the oven. But it is... Um, 
an interesting idea of the of confit and of course confit goes back to the idea of, of trying to preserve things and hence an early interest in preserving mm. which neatly segues into my more recent books which were mainly about jams and preserves. So do you have a collection of cards of these recipes still? Of, of various recipes? I do and it wouldn't it have been good if I'd bought them in. No, no, but, but we, can't, we, we can't bring them all in. You no, know. no, but I do and I have... Um, the French seem to be better at it than anyone else, and, and perhaps that's part of their cultural heritage, their pride in their cuisine. Yes. The Italians do quite a lot as well. Yes, they do. They? Yeah. But um, when I was teaching in Italy, I was, I was mainly teaching in, in Umbria and rural Tuscany, and the, they don't have too many shops in Umbria and rural Tuscany. They're kind of food versions of topographic cards. They tend to be very much associated with a, a particular... Oh, yes. Location. This is this is yeah. Perigord. You only ever get this one in Perigord. It's about confit. Um, so it, it's confit of dark. I mean, there's there's, there's gizzard jessier, there's um, foie. And uh, and have you ever cooked from them? Yes, not this one, but I have cooked from so them. So you're yes. standing there with it. But then a recipe po- recipe cards yes. were a big thing in the 1970s and 80s, weren't they? I've got a, a set of Robert Carrier recipe cards. I mean, when you look at the photography now, they are quite... Quite wonderful. But I was looking this morning at something which was talking about making cakes with mayonnaise. And indeed, it, no, you can. You can make a perfectly good cake using really? mayonnaise. The one, the recipe underneath it, which was making a cake with tomato soup, I felt that I probably good wouldn't Lord. try. But yes, well, mayonnaise has got egg in it. Yeah, yes, no, it's been yeah. And fat, mixed. you know, egg and fat. Yeah. Why not? Cakes. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you are. Maybe we should, should popularise the, uh, the, the recipe postcard. Yes, I don't think... There are recipe postcards now. I don't. I haven't seen. I can't see. Well, you wouldn't have them from this country, would you? You might, you no, might have, just you might have one with just a picture of a of, of a Cornish pasty on, or fish and chips, or it something. It wouldn't say how be. to cook it. I don't think. Well, no, because be. I think um, perhaps we don't have those. I mean, toad in the hole. Perhaps you could. I mean, I've regional never seen dishes. One like that. No, Eccles cakes. Or Lancashire hot pot or something. Yeah. Well, maybe the post- postcard manufacturers who are struggling <laughs> yes, need to it. stretch this their legs. It. They need to stretch their legs, yes, you know, indeed. Food is a good market. Zane knows mm. this. I do. I do indeed. <laughs> Very good. And there's a couple of other French cards. There are These These are old ones of Villeneuve's your lot, and, and I love them because they are... I mean, I, I love them because, you know, what you've got in this picture is men at the market... So these are reproductions of these old cards? These are reproductions of old, of old cards, yes. So men at the market or women at the river washing the clothes. Oh, I see. So once again, we were talking earlier about the division of the sexes. Yes, this is, uh... we are very much. There are women at the river washing clothes and these are men walking around the market. I mean, I can't see a woman there. There may be one that could be a woman, but basically these are men doing their... Doing their bit. Yes, there's a couple yeah. of women there sort of in the distance and these are women. And there are definitely no men washing Certainly not. And you know this place well. Yes. Um, I spent a lot of time in France. I think it's... uh, We used to sort of bundle the children into the car and sort of drive off ever optimistic. They still have amazing memories of, on the way home, sitting sort of... My daughter the other day said, I'm sure we sat on the cheese. And I said, no, I think I put the cheese around your feet because you'd buy up all these extraordinary things. I suppose Um, you couldn't help yourself. Well, you couldn't, no. And and, my husband said, we'll never get it all in the car. And I'd say, yes, we will. That's a challenge when people say that. Of course it is. Of course it is. And presumably the smell on the way back. Yes, yes, yes. By the time you arrived in (laughs) It was a complete nonsense, but, you know, and, and of course, then you've got so much cheese you can't eat and you don't want to eat cheese anymore. But it's one of those those things. So, yes, I spent a lot of time travelling through France, tasting various dishes, trying to work out how people made them. And 
um, being enchanted with it, but I'm afraid being slightly less enchanted as the years went on because I think there are a lot of um, issues with the labour laws in France that make food of the type that we instinctively remember very much more difficult to um, recreate these days. Oh, really? Yes, if you can only work a, a set number of time, hours a week, how do you run a brigade in a kitchen? They have to be in, you know, if you want to do two meals a day, you basically have to have two brigades, and so it becomes uneconomic. And so a tremendous amount of um, restaurants struggle with that. Interesting. Right, well, thank you for your trip to um, culinary France. Um, Toby, you've got a card now, I think, which is, is your last one. Really. More death and destruction. No, no, but this, this is, I, I happen to know this oh. is, is pulsating with narrative. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, no, this is a more positive story. Um, uh, so the, the card is of, of Yalta uh, oh in Crimea. Yes. And um, it's a fairly ordinary topographical card produced in the 1910s, I mean, probably around... 1918, 1919, um, and it's fairly unexciting. But on the back, we've got a little message, um, and this chap, chap who's written and said, this is where we took the royalty from Russia, April the 7th and 8th, 1919. That was written by a sailor on wow. board HMS Marlborough, um, and his name was Harry English, and this... Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, This was part of a much larger group of images, and I just picked this out because I thought this was completely extraordinary. So HMS Marlborough um, was a British warship that helped rescue the surviving members of the Russian royal family, and notably the Dowager Empress, so Nicholas II's mother. And um, it's hugely emotive to think he was there and I think this is a wonderful thing about historical documents, and it's why I try and collect where I can, because it brings one back to a part to the past, and it has an immediacy about it. You know, there's even a, a, a little spelling mistake. He spelled were, where as were, okay. and so you're sort of inhabiting the mind as much as one can do um, of, of someone who was present at the most extraordinary time. Amazing. And there's all sorts of um, memoirs and contemporary documents talking about the family, the surviving members, mm. looking back. And this was their last view of Russia. Oh, almost uh, literally the view we're it seeing. Is, it is extraordinary. The I mean, that I'm holding seeing. this in my yes. hand. It does feel like a, a piece of history, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, it is. I've, I've come all sort of <laughs> goosebumpy. It's uh, I think extraordinary. It very mu- I think it very much is. I mean, this is... Um, Obviously, it's the distant past, but it certainly informs the present um, of what happened to Russia in the 20th century. And one can't help but get wrapped up in these incredibly emotive stories, Um, whether that story is of the family itself, whether it's of those who didn't survive, or whether it's of Mr English himself, who was there serving on beyond the First World War. Again, not a very well-known fact that, you know, our the, the British Army continued to fight, you know, um, after the end of the First World War. Um, and he went on and, and fought in, in parts of, of modern-day Turkey and, and, and Greece and around. Um, and, um, yes, I, I, it's something um, that I feel privileged to own. And I think, you know, a lot of collectors talk about this, but one really is just a guardian for future yes. generations, um, you know, especially with, with, with something like this. And you have to keep it in a box with a label. <laughs> in case you get run over by a bus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but how do you know it's 
Harry English? Because it came as a much larger group, okay. Of, okay. group, group of um, images. And I, and, I, and I think it was um, sold presumably by a descendant okay. who no longer wanted them. And, uh, and there we are. So. And also Crimea. I mean, very topical, isn't it? It's isn't all happening it? now. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, we, we look at this and think that was a long time ago, and then you just say the word Crimea and you think, ah. Yes, the shifting planes of geopolitics. Yes. Um, I th- you know, I think that's true of whether you're talking about the beaching trains and, and, and the changes. I think postcards do, you know, bring you back to the past, but there's always the consequences in the present as well. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I certainly, um, talking about the, the book, um, there's no question that postcards now are the focus of, of academic research. And quite right, because, I mean, you know, where else do you get such a wonderful social snapshot? Yes. Whether that's talking about the local talent. Well, absolutely. <laughs> or bizarre. Well, yes, and I think this is, uh, you know, talking to academics in this who talk about postcards and do it they've sort of been ignored for a long time but suddenly different disciplines have all rather alighted on postcards whether they're um specialists in photography history of photography sort of social issues uh postal history um anthropology various different disciplines have all sort of descended on postcards all of a sudden and and quite right too well it's an extraordinary cross-section quite unguarded quite a lot of it. I mean, okay, the coding, obviously, but normally you write on a postcard. I mean, I always say anything on a postcard, you must make sure you, it doesn't matter who reads it, but, but people write what they're thinking at that time. And Definitely. so it's not, they're not trying to be bold, they're not trying to be flowery, they're just, you know, this is what's happening. And so, and you get a box of those and you have an enormous snapshot of And it's of a resource that, of, of incredible... Um, scale. That's right. I mean, incredible scale. Just, just look in my garage. But, <laughs> but, but imagine beyond. I mean, they, they, they were sent in there millions and millions and billions. Yes. So the number, the amount of stuff out there, and no one has time to go through it all, but there's a lot of stuff out there. And it's mm. more like, it's much more like speech than it is about, than it is like, um, Writing, really. And yes. One of the reasons postcards were kind of frowned upon in the early days is that ordinary people who had a bit of education, or basically could write, could just scrawl anything they liked on them. Yes. And it didn't go through all the niceties and the formality of, you know, my dear sir, and uh, mm. with regard to the last letter of the third inst, none of that. It's dear Elsie... We've yeah. taken a day trip to Bognor. It's fantastic. Or, you know, yes. it's, it's A1 and we're in the pink. Or having a wonderful time, wish you were here. Yeah. The traditional. That's all the classic. Yes. That's all or my room is marked with a cross, you know, oh, these sort yeah. of things. That, those wonderful ones. But then again, this, this is, you know, he obviously thought it was serious enough, didn't he, to make that note on it oh, in his own it? informal way. Very much so, yes. I mean, uh, and, and I think that's the other thing about postcards is, is they're personal records for individuals. Yes. And one mustn't forget, and I think in, in the context of, of the Russian cards, this is very much true, that actually this was your personal art gallery. Oh. And it was both a record of your uh, aesthetic sense, but also a record of your own personal history, as in this yes. case. Yes. And so they weren't just sent through the post. They were also put in albums and stored away. Well, I still buy uh, reproduction of pictures that I have seen for the first time at an oh, exhibition yes. and I have quite a lot of them and I mean I was in Norway last year and I bought some new monk postcards yeah. because then I will have them yeah. I don't want the book but I want to have a memory of those postcards so I still use it for that mm. same reason I have the same, but I rather wonder what to do with them. They're oh, sort yes. of stuffed away in a drawer, and I never look at them and I think, well, you know. Um... When, the, when the Tate Modern opened in the shop an artist, I don't remember the name of the artist, he had created these narrow 
steel shelves that you could put on the wall. Mm -hmm. I did buy them, I didn't <laughs> But they were designed literally just for putting for postcards, postcards. Yes. It, as a moving display. Oh, right. In the way a lot of writers have, yes. you know, and you, or just if you're at your desk and you want some inspiration, and it might be something that sort of uh, has a sentimental connection, it might mm. just, you just like your picture of Monk. Yeah. And um, so they, they did this. But then lots of people have yes. cards stacked around their room. Yes, they do. I was talking to a writer the other day in this room, and she said she had to have all her postcards behind her. Yes. She just stared. Get distracted. Not do any work. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah, that is an. You know, did you do you not find that that you're distracted by things when you're writing? Um, oh, very much so. Yes. Um, the, I can't. I mean, I'd love to have a nice um, window in front of me with a beautiful view, but I can't. I need to stare at a blank wall. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, nothing gets done. And reflect back into yourself, into yes. your brain. Indeed. Well, that's. Um, that's very good. Thank you so much, both of you, um, for sharing these really interesting and different and strange and unusual and touching cards with us. Um, another quick reminder of everyone at home, um, the cards that sent us hurtling into these strange personal and historical stories um, are all going to be on the blog. Images will be on the blog, um, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can have a look for yourself. Um, including one last one from me in the past postcard style, and it is just feel a bit trivial. Um, though in, in some ways it has a connection with Toby's last card because... Yours was very much a record of a piece of history. This is a sort of sideline on, on on a moment that that could be history, but perhaps isn't. Maybe it's history as we actually experience it. Um, it's a card from Silly Isles, um, a multi-view with a with some daffodils in the middle. It's from well, it's certainly seventies because it's a sevenpenny stamp sent to Devon by someone called uh, uh, Diana and Robert and family. And on their holiday, they said today in Isles of Silly. We saw Sir Harold Wilson and Bill Oddie of the Goodies. <laughs> Lucky them. Yeah. I mean, Harold Wilson, you'd expect to, because he was yes. famous for going on holiday. He was. Bill Oddie, I didn't, maybe he was bird watching. Bird watching. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say. There you are. We'll have to get Bill on and, and ask him if he remembers that day. <laughs> and uh, before we let uh, Thane and Toby back out into what is genuinely sunshine, um, I've got just one more uh, postcard for you both. It's customary for us to end the programme on one of these. I don't know if you've seen one of these before. Never. Oh, yes, I have. Absolutely. I'm not this particular one, but I have seen um, this is is this a record? Would you put it on an actual turntable and yeah. play it? Yes. It's, no, I'm it's a older. musical postcard. I'm that much older than you. You see, steam trains, remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The singing postcard, use it as a normal record. That's right. Yeah. Wow. If, if, if you don't mind ruining your stylus. Exactly. <laughs> Send it through the post. I think that the idea of printing records on paper was something that was big in the 70s. Yeah. Are they, I mean, these, I think, were from the 60s. late 60s. Yeah, perhaps it was There the were 60s. musical postcards as far back as the 1900s um, where they were printing them onto a sort of... Um, I don't know what it was like, like a sort of shellac, I suppose. Mm. Um, but these, these are this, 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 is, this is the important question. Well, <laughs> yeah. young Tom is, is busy next door, but if, if we ask him nicely, he might come through and we'll see if we can do something with it. It's a bit scratchy. There we go. I think sometimes these were sent in envelopes and sometimes they very were sent literally through though. the post. Yeah, it's very jolly. Something going on. Yeah, I mean, it's I like want it. to dance a little. Absolutely. Possibly not in a gondolier, but... Is it a 
accordion? I think it is, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's a telling accordion. Yes. I could imagine sitting in Venice listening to this. Yeah, it's quite so slow. <laughs> Relaxing as the sun sets. With a with a drink, yeah, a glass of something. I said that too quickly. I was just, you know, but I was there with you. Well, as the Bridge of Sighs rotates at 78 RPM, that's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Toby Matthew and Thane Prince. Thank you both. Very lovely to be here. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me, at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.